Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other wonderful podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And by the way, if I may say so myself, we really have been putting up some great conversations over on our Blister podcast and Off the Couch podcast and Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. So if you are not already subscribed to those podcasts or in the habit of checking those out, you should and be up on some good conversations with some really smart and interesting people. So go check them out. Now, today, what we are doing here is we are doing a bit of a mashup. We are going to be talking to three different blister reviewers about bikes and forks and our upcoming 2021 winter buyer's guide. So to kick things off, we check in with blister reviewer David Golay, and we are going to talk about the Gorilla Gravity Narvana, the RockShox Zeb, the Manitou Mezer, And then we're going to ask each of our reviewers our now weekly question, what are they celebrating this week? So yeah, first we talk to David, then Blister reviewer Dylan Wood talks to us about the Rocky Mountain Instinct, and we have a conversation about that bike. And then finally, I sat down with Luke Kappa to talk about our big annual project of putting out a massive winter buyer's guide. So Luke and I talk about that, some of the things that we'll be doing this year and some of the things you can expect. And so yeah, that is what we have on tap for you here today. Some bike stuff and some ski stuff. That's like finishing dinner and getting like two different types of dessert. That's what this feels like here. So anyway, we hope you enjoy. And now let's go ahead and talk to David Golay. All right. Well, David Golay, we're going to kick things off by having you fill us in about how your time is going on the Gorilla Gravity Narvana. What's up? Yeah. So I've been testing the Narvana for a couple of weeks now. Noah and I have already reviewed the bike, configured as both a trail pistol and a smash. And for anyone who's not familiar, Gorilla Gravity is doing this pretty interesting thing with their full suspension bikes where... They're using the same front triangle for five different models of bike and are able to convert it into five bikes with substantially different travel and geometry and both 27.5 and 29-inch wheels by swapping headset cups and uh, the seat stay assemblies and rear shocks effectively. And so we've now been on the bike set up as the trail pistol which is a 120 millimeter rear wheel travel 29er trail bike up through the Narvana now, which is a 160 rear travel, 170 forked 29er monster truck. So it's been pretty cool seeing that they've managed to pull off this big range of bikes out of uh, largely the same parts for the, including the front triangle. That was kind of one of the things I was wondering most when I started getting on it was, given that they're sharing the front triangle for all of these bikes and are making a pretty broad spectrum of bikes with that front triangle, to what extent is it going to feel like there are compromises in the 
geometry and suspension kinematics and whatnot to kind of make all that packaging work. And frankly, it's quite impressive what they've done with it. And it seems like there are sort of fewer drawbacks than I might have expected. The most obvious one is that since there's only one front triangle, the relationship between the head tube angle and the seat tube angle is fixed. And so as you make the head tube angle slacker, you kind of inevitably also do the same to the seat tube. But even with the almost, well, it's about a two and a half degree swing in head tube angles across the bikes. And turns out that's kind of not enough to really throw the seat tube angle too far out of whack. The trail pistol especially is pretty steep. And while the Narvana is a little bit on the slacker side of things, it still works. It's not anything out of the ordinary. So that that's pretty cool. It took me a little bit to get the cockpit sort of sorted out just because the top two blank states about the same, but the reach gets shorter and the stack gets higher as you're kind of rotating the frame back and putting a bigger fork on it and thereby making the head tube angle slacker. So that took a little figuring out, but I've got it feeling really good now. And uh, I'm overall just super impressed with the bike. It's a really competent, long travel, aggressive 29er that just as you'd expect out of something like that wants to be going pretty fast and pointed down something pretty steep most of the time but for what it is it still pedals pretty well it's stiff and burly the weight's reasonable for what it is and i'm getting along with it really well couple questions one i kind of felt like asking uh let's say you know for someone who wasn't like a picky prima donna you think they'd also have any time fiddling around trying to get the cockpit to feel all right? Um, <laughs> I am probably fussier than most people with that kind of stuff. So uh, I bet a lot of people would be fine just moving, leaving a little bit of steer tube exposed and moving a couple headset spacers. Yeah. Uh, I ended up putting a different handlebar on it and going to a slightly longer stem and fiddling around a few more things. But uh, it's not like it's, changing wildly and dramatically and more sane people might uh, have an easier time. I'm curious if the bike is conjuring up any close comparisons to any other bike you've spent time on. Maybe the closest thing is that I can think of is the transition Sentinel. And uh, I spent time on the prior generation, but not the newest recently released one. And so the Sentinel, that's the version of the Sentinels sort of feels like somewhere in between the smash and the Narvana, if that makes sense. The geometry is a little closer to the Narvana, but the it's 140 millimeter rear travel. And so it's a little bit closer to the smash in terms of amount of suspension. And um, the... Uh, wheelbase and reach on the Sentinel are a little bit longer. And so it feels, if anything, maybe a little bit more stable in that regard, but also just has a bit less suspensions and a bit less compliant and forgiving as a result of that. The Narvana really just wants to plow over stuff really, really capably. And uh, so... That's probably the closest comparison that I spent a lot of time on recently. I think that's the best one I've got, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about forks. You have been 
swapping between a couple forks on this Narvana. So tell us a bit about what's going on there. Yeah, so the two forks that I've been using on it are the Manitou Mezer and then the new RockShox Zeb, both at 170 millimeter travel in the 44 millimeter offset versions. And so um, I'm liking both of them. They're a little bit different in kind of what they excel at and who might be best suited with each of them. There's kind of a, a, a decent way to sort of tease out the differences in performance between the two of them, I guess. Uh, so to start with the Zeb, we talked about this a bit more with our, with Chris Mandel of RockShox and SRAM on our conversation on bikes and big ideas last week. But the Zeb uh, shares a very similar damper and spring configuration to the Lyric Ultimate, and but then bumps up to a burlier chassis with 38 millimeter stanchions to the Lyric 35 and gains a couple hundred grams in the process. And so it really does feel a lot like a just beefier, stiffer version of a Lyric Ultimate. I'm on the Zeb Ultimate as well. Um, damper and spring feel real similar, but it is noticeably stiffer, particularly in torsion. Um, whereas with the, the Mezer is almost 200 grams lighter than the Zeb, so it's actually kind of closer to Lyric weight. Uh, and it's, uh, again, an airsprung fork with, it's got 37 millimeter stanchions, which is a touch smaller than the Zebs. And it is not quite as stiff, particularly in torsion, but given the sort of 200 gram weight difference and the fact that it's really more comparable to a Lyrican weight, the measure feels really impressive in that regard. Um, I haven't a beat it exactly back to back with a Lyric quite as recently, um, but it is for sure stiffer than at least the t- up to 2020 chassis Fox 36, which is close to, or maybe not quite as stiff as the most recent Lyric. So the kind of extrapolating from that, I think the measure's probably a little stiffer than the Lyric, despite coming in at a similar weight. But the uh, big story with the measure is their air spring is a bit unconventional and pretty cool. So in short, the way it works is that unlike most forks, it has two separate positive air spring chambers that you can set the pressure in independently. And those two are stacked on top of each other. And so the way it works is that you run lower air pressure in the lower of the two chambers and something like 30 or 40 PSI more in the upper chamber. And so the effect of that is that the lower chamber ramps up in pressure as the fork compresses up until the point that it reaches the same air pressure that you have set in the upper chamber, at which point the piston that separates the two starts to move and you're basically compressing the two chambers together. And so what that does is it allows you to set the fork up so that it ramps up more quickly than most air sprung forks would through the mid stroke. But then you hit this inflection point where the second air chamber comes into play. The volume of the air spring effectively jumps to being substantially larger at that point, And it ramps up less slowly from that point forward. And so 
you can make the measure super, super supportive through the midstroke without then continuing to ramp up even harder deep in the stroke and getting harsh there or making it so that you can't get full travel out of it. And so it opens up some cool tuning options for fine tuning and fiddling with that and making the fork really impressively supportive without being just oversprung and harsh. Uh, on the other hand, it also is definitely a bit more complicated to set up and a little more fiddly in terms of having the air pressures just so, especially because not only do you have the two different chambers to deal with, but then the relative pressure between the two changes where that inflection point in the spring curve happens also. So if you don't have it kind of dialed, you could make it feel pretty weird and not great, but it does also open up some interesting performance possibilities and ways to tune it that are fairly impressive and that you kind of can't really get out of most air sprung force. Yeah. And I mean, this, this has been right. Like the big question or the, it's like, which side of this issue are you on? Right. And I mean, Noah Bodman has certainly complained about this a lot in the past, right? It's like, and I, I feel, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a manufacturer because on the one hand, it's like, well, if we simplify this and don't give so many options, we give that person who doesn't really know what they're doing in terms of setup, we're going to make it harder for them to end up with a weird feeling ride. But then for those people who do know what they're doing are very particular, they can kind of be left wanting with a lot of, you know, with forks or shocks that don't allow for much fine tuning. And so, I don't know, it feels a little bit, sometimes it feels a little bit like manufacturers are damned if they do and damned if they don't, but it sounds like this product knows what it's trying to be and it should be pretty clear maybe who the best audience is for it. Does that seem right? Yeah, I think that seems right. It, uh, for people who want to really fiddle and fine tune with their suspension and take the time to kind of get it right and keep it set up just so, it does open up some pretty interesting tuning opportunities and does have some very real performance benefits, but it does take a little bit more figuring out than some other stuff does too. Well, hey, that was a pretty good update on the bike and the two forks. And so, you know, good job by you. Uh, I think the last question I have for you, you know, we've got this thing going on gear thirties, uh, where we are supposed to talk about what we are celebrating this week. And so I guess I'd like to ask you anything in particular this week that you are celebrating. Yeah. Uh, I am feeling pretty excited about the fact that despite the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing with them, the tomatoes that I planted to get myself something to do during quarantine are going gangbusters. And I just picked something like a pint of cherry tomatoes a few minutes ago. And in a couple days, I'm going to have way more plum tomatoes than I know what to do with. So those are greatly exceeding expectations especially accounting for the fact that I have basically no gardening experience and am 
completely clueless as to how to actually properly take care of them. But uh, despite my best efforts to kill them, they're doing really, really well. Wow, that's actually great. Well, I mean, I would expect nothing less from someone who, you know, can adeptly set up the Manitou Mezer, you know? So I think it sounds like <laughs> what we're learning here is any of you out there who are like, yeah, I, the Mezer's great. I totally can get that dialed in. I think we can now, you know, make the assumption that you probably can also grow some banger cherry tomatoes and plum tomatoes. I think so. I mean, if I can pull it off, whoever listening to this probably can as well. Yeah. I think it's really the takeaway. I feel like I just did one of those like Monty Python, like <laughs> the duck is a witch or the witch is a duck type of thing. So, you know, crushing it on the logic front. And I think my work here is done. Perfect. Excellent. Well, hey, man, really appreciate it. And um, I'm going to let you get going. And uh, I'm going to go bug Dylan Wood next. Sounds good. All right, man. Talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, now it's time to talk to the person at Blister who either has the best hair or the worst hair. Depends on your perspective, Mr. Dylan Wood. Here we go. All right, Dylan Wood, you have been spending time on this Rocky Mountain Instinct, the BC edition. Wouldn't that be nice if it was actually, if you were on the CB edition? Yeah, they should flip the letters around and make one uh, blister special, <laughs> Instinct Beast CB edition. Yeah, you should, uh, you should let them know. Um, well, first of all, let's talk about, I guess this bike comes in currently two editions until Rocky Mountain starts making the CB edition, and then there will be three. But tell us a little bit just about the two editions this bike is currently available in. Yeah, so the Instinct has been around since uh, about 2013, and the most recent iteration of the Instinct was released at the end of 2017 for the 2018 model year. And the normal Instinct is 140 millimeters front and rear, 29er sort of trail all-arounder. And the BC edition is sort of a ramped up, more enduro style bike with 155 millimeters in the rear, 160 up front, and a little bit more downhill oriented components like tires, handlebars, um, just to give the bike a little bit more downhill capability for those looking to ride fast enduro style. Give me some of your initial thoughts on this bike. Yeah, so the bike's been around for a couple years now and you know, talking like a bike from 2018, calling it old feels kind of weird, but you know, things move fast in the bike industry and there have been quite a few long travel 29ers released by other companies since then that sort of make the Instinct BC's geometry feel more conservative, I'd say. <clears throat> so um, yeah, hopping a leg over it doesn't feel anything like too long or too slack. Like it has a pretty different feeling just pedaling it around than like a mega tower or even a high tower. Say more about that. Pretty different feel from a mega tower or high tower in what ways? Yeah, so it's a little bit shorter and head tube angles a little steeper, seat tube angles a little bit more slack. So 
yeah, the fit is just a little bit different in terms of pedals are a little bit more forward under you. Bike yeah. doesn't really feel as long as you're turning it and sort of messing around. And yeah, getting on the trail, it just has that sort of shorter feeling to it, I'd say, and which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, going back like a, a couple years when I was on the Hightower LT as my main bike, it was a bike I really loved just because it was pretty nimble compared to like other sort of more sluggish enduro bikes, I'd say, that are just a little bit more longer and prioritize high speed and stability more. And so, yeah, I think it's a basically a, a good bike for people who maybe aren't totally sold on the whole, you know, let's see how long and low and slack we could make long travel 29ers. So not to put words in your mouth here, so please correct me if I get this wrong, but it sounds like you're saying, one, this is a more nimble bike than maybe something like the Mega Tower. And I'm not sure if you would, given what you said, call this a more playful bike. Thoughts? I mean, just given its geometry, I think it's a little bit more inherently playful um, just because it is a little bit snappier, a little bit more nimble. I feel like it's sort of quicker and easier to get into the air than like the Mega Tower, a bike that's a little bit longer and whose suspension just kind of feels like it wants to stay glued to the ground to me. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit more quick just in like corners, you can especially feel it and it's a pretty light bike too for what's on it, like 30 pounds. Um, doesn't sound like a lot if you're comparing it to a XC bike in terms of, you know, lightweight bikes, but 30 pounds for a bike that's nearly 160 front and rear at a, you know, $6,000 price point, the build we've been using, the Carbon 70. I think that's a really fair weight to uh, put in comparison my Mega Tower, which is about the same price as like 33 pounds. So basically your thoughts currently are somebody who maybe wants a bit of a lighter bike in this class and isn't looking for ultimate stability, this might be the way to go. Yeah, like if you're sort of going for that one bike quiver and a long travel 29er is where you think you're headed, but you're not really sold on having the super long bike that uh, feel like it's overbiked a lot. I think the Instinct BC edition would be a good option. Um, for example, uh, just riding out in the Signal Peak area, um, I had I had like a you know hour or two till the sun went down, and I live right next to it, so I figured might as well go check out the new trail that Gunnison Trail has just built out there, Dwayne's World. Super cool. Yeah. Anyway, back to the subject. Um, I was out there on the Rocky Mountain and just really didn't feel like I was over biking it that much. And for anyone who's ridden Signal Peak, uh, super XC style trails, um, pretty smooth, like a lot of pedaling on roads to basically get anywhere. And it felt much more appropriate to be on the Instinct BC edition rather than like a Santa Cruz Mega Tower or like even the Santa Cruz High Tower, honestly. What other trails in the Gunnison Valley have you had the instinct on? Yeah, so the first ride I took it on was one of my favorite loops right now. Uh, start going up Baxter Gulch 
and then across on Carbon Trail, and then one of my favorite descents in the valley, uh, Green Lake Trail, and trail I'm super familiar with. Um, I've ridden it many times on many different bikes, and yeah, it kind of felt like I was on the back on the High Tower LT. Uh, since the last couple times I've ridden Green Lake was on the Mega Tower, the bike just sort of felt quicker in the corners. Um, but then again, like trudging super fast through rock gardens, I feel like that decrease in the wheelbase and decrease in the reach as compared to other longer bikes. Um, I think it did lack a little bit in stability, but what it lacked in stability, but I think it made up in uh, quickness and I hate to use the word fun, but I just did, so. It makes me both respect you and not like you that Baxter is currently like among your favorite rides here. Because the last time I was on Baxter, and it was a year ago, I was on a pretty clapped out bike that was not functioning well, but that climb just kicked my ass. And I don't know how much of it was just me versus the bike, but I've been afraid to go back. So you talking about how much you love it, I feel bad about myself right now. Yeah, I mean, there's no easy way to get to the top of Baxter's or Green Lake. So you kind of just got to suck it up and realize you're probably not going to have that good of a time climbing <laughs> up. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is I just need to suck it up more? Yeah, suck it up more. Maybe like get on like a 20-pound Trek Super Caliber if you, if you really want to, but okay. it wouldn't be as fun going down, so don't recommend. Just put my high tower, like carry it on my back, but ride the 20-pound Trek on the way up? Yeah, there you go. That's a good solution. Okay. Well, hey, man, listen, I appreciate the, uh, the quick update, and um, yeah, it'll be fun getting some more of our folks on this instinct. Um, it'll be fun trying to pressure Rocky Mountain into making the CB edition, though it kind of sounds like the non-BC edition could sort of be the CB edition. Agree or disagree? Um, I guess it depends on, you know, the rider or the bike. Personally, if I were to go with one of them, I'd probably go with the BC edition just okay. because I'd rather have a little extra plush going down than a little bit uh, less going up, I guess. But uh, yeah, the, the Instinct would definitely be a good all-rounder and it's hard to find a bike that isn't fun in CB, honestly. Ah, you like it here. I do. Okay. Hey man, I'm going to let you get going, and but I appreciate the thoughts, and I am sure I will be talking to you soon. Yeah. See you around. Okay, man. Thanks. Okay, last but not least, it's time now to talk to our managing editor, Luke Kappa, about the big old buyer's guide. And as you will be able to tell, poor Luke is already feeling a bit stressed probably actually appropriately stressed. So, you know, keep Luke in your thoughts and prayers, maybe light a candle. Things are about to get pretty intense around here. Luke, you know, you've got this. Let's be honest, Luke. I stay up later than him all the time anyway, but um, Luke's gonna be doing a lot, a lot of heavy lifting on this thing. So um, that's why he might sound, you know, slightly, I think, panicked 
is the right word, but it's it's understandable and it'll be okay. We're going to get through this. And uh, so now you can hear Luke and me talk about some of the things that you can expect in our 2021 Winter Buyer's Guide. Here we go. All right. Well, I am sitting here with Luke Kappa and Luke, apparently we have to put out <laughs> another winter buyer's guide soon. The one thing COVID can't cancel, apparently, <laughs> that I wouldn't I mind if it was. <laughs> I know. Of all the things COVID did take out, we still have like a 250-page master's thesis to write. Yay. So anyway, I, I wanted to get an update from you. Um, you have been leading the charge on this. I am about to uh, to jump in. I mostly just am hoping that you push this, you know, kind of push this ball down the field, uh, as it were, uh, a good ways before I before I jump in. But uh, tell us a little bit about how this is going and, you know, what can we expect for the Blister Winter 2021 Buyer's Guide? Uh, well, if you've seen any of our, our other previous guides, you know that it's going to be pretty big. And last year we had about 223 skis, I think. And this year we're going to have more. Again, <laughs> it's probably going to be around 240, but I won't let people hold me to that exact number. Um, yeah, and it's going to be better than any other buyer's guide on the market per usual. And it's probably going to kill me or... Um, <laughs> I'll, yeah, that I'll, I'll have like a suppressed immune system from not sleeping and then I'll get COVID and then I'll die. But yeah, probably the guide will come out eventually. We'll do it. Yeah, if that happens, big. we'll dedicate it. We'll, yeah. we'll dedicate it to you this yeah, year. Yeah, totally worth it. <laughs> like at what year do we say, oh, the guide was actually bigger the year before? When does that happen? Is uh, it like the year 2063? Is it? I don't know. I, I don't, feel like once we start accepting that we should have better work-life balances <laughs> and we just don't test more skis. <laughs> I don't know. Huh. But anyways, yeah, that's going to be my life for the next couple months. Um, fun is dead for the summer. Um, yeah, I'm doing great. And it hasn't even really started yet. Perfect. Now that everyone is <laughs> fired up or really sad yeah. about our buyer's guide. Okay, you said we've got more skis in it than last year. So this will be yet again, we can say the biggest buyer's guide we've ever put out. Mm -hmm. This is, I'm looking at them on the, all of the past years on our table. So this is uh, our sixth, this is the sixth we'll have put out uh, in terms of buyer's guides. What else should we know? Um, I mean, when, when I'm going through and trying to keep track of several hundred different products, um, between the different categories we have in there, you tend to notice some themes. Um, and one thing, it's not really an industry trend, but for blister one, uh, one of the few cool aspects of last season was that we got to try a good number of skis from brands that were new to us or that we hadn't been on in a while. And a lot of them were surprisingly good. You and I are both consistently very suspicious of new brands and the claims that they make and just the question if they can put together a ski that doesn't fall apart. But we, yeah, I, I got on a bunch of really fun skis 
Kai shapes. Um, I spent a lot of time on the metamorph, which is really fun as like a soft snow, kind of all mountain ski. I know Eric Friesen was liking that numinous and we should have that review out hopefully in the near future. And then shaggy skis out of Michigan was super impressed by the Amik and we'll be, we'll definitely be getting on more of their skis this coming season. And then kind of at the tail end of it, um, we got a few new skis from majesty and I was very happy with it. Like that, that super wolf, it's a fairly skinny touring ski. And I mean it, the highest praise I could give it was that by the end of it, I was like, I would not be mad if you made me ski this versus a Solomon mountain explorer 95, which is like our baseline in that category. Um, so yeah, that was all, it was, it was nice to not only try new skis and especially from some smaller brands, but have them actually be fun to ski. We like when that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else we got? Uh, so on that note about like going through all the different products and trying to, so we like place all of the skis in these different sections and that process is usually done at one in the morning because, uh, we can't like (laughs) make up our minds really hard. Um, and to be clear, like what we actually write about a product, focus more on that than whether it's in all mountain stable or forgiving if, if, and we'll note if it was like a close call or something like that. But anyway, um, the, so we do a 50, 50 resort backcountry section. Um, and then we do a dedicated backcountry touring section and one, we're adding a lot of skis to that this year. And two, the line between those, I mean, 50, 50 is kind of a category that isn't really an official category, but the line between them is getting really blurred, especially with skis like the the new Vocal Blaze 106, the J Skis Slacker, the Sago Condor 108, the Faction Agent 3.0. All of those skis are they're not super light. They are lighter than most inbound skis, but kind of that it'll be interesting to see um, especially just like when I'm out on the skin track, like trying to focus what people are actually skinning on and skiing in the resort, because a lot of these touring skis, yeah, they're a little bit heavier than like the super lightweight carbon skis, but a lot of them ski really well. And there are people who do not need or want a heavy inbound setup. Um, weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that'll be, uh, a lot of hand wringing around those sections this year. Yeah. Women's skis. We'll be talking, I hate it when like dudes talk a bunch about women's skis. So we will uh, wait till our women are around to talk more about that. But um, give us a, any couple notes on that. Um, just that they, we were able to get them on a lot of, um, a lot of new skis and some pretty exciting ones like the Nordic Santa Ana lineup, which has been a favorite of uh, Chris and Sasha and Kara's over the past few years, got overhauled, and we got on the night the new 93, the new 98, and the new 104 free. Um, and then we got on a couple of the Rosignol Black Ops Rally Bird and Rally Bird Ti, uh, the new Blizzard Black Pearl 88. Uh, uh, we got on the Coalition Snow SOS, um, which is from a cool small women's only brand. Uh, Renown's coming out with a new women's ski. It's called the Air Airheart 88, um, lightweight, more frontside oriented ski. Um, 
new Lion Pandora 110, which I know all of them were super excited to see come back, even though it's a very different ski. But spoiler alert, Kristen really liked that ski. Um, so yeah, yeah, it'll be an exciting section and looking forward to hearing them talk about it. Okay. What else should we know about our 2021 buyer's guide? So as we noted back in uh, January for Outdoor Retailer at a very different, uh, it was a very different world back then, we noted that a lot of skis, or there are more skis that are coming in heavier, coming with less tip and tail taper, and you came up with a title that I immediately disliked and you called 2020 the year of Ellsworth. Oh no. And now that 2020 <laughs> has oh, turned no. into an absolute shit show, I am loving that name. And I think that like we should just stop using the year and just whatever went wrong in your life in 2020, it's Jonathan's fault. I feel like this is more like one of those sort of deal with the devils type <laughs> yeah. of things. Yeah, that's where it's <laughs> like, I'll tell you what. I'll sell my soul if I can just get some heavier skis back and, or maybe it wasn't so much I'll sell my soul, but it was like, devil, tell you what, you can blow up the world. Just give me some heavier skis. And I don't remember ever like, you know, silently, you know, signing saying, that contract. <laughs> I didn't sign that contract, but it's sure you're right. It does seem like, uh, yeah, it does seem like something diabolical has happened. Yeah. I think to correct the world balance, we need every ski company just needs to make things super light, <laughs> really tight side cut radius as like as much taper as possible. Hmm. Yeah. That would be the sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I probably wouldn't ski anymore, but yeah. um, it, it's okay. If it, if it got us out of COVID, yeah. that'd be an interesting question actually. Like if you promise to never ski again and covid would stop tomorrow would you do that for the good of humankind? yeah i mean there are like seven billion people on the world mm. is it bad that i was <laughs> is it bad that i was mulling that over yeah i was like well we'll get to maybe immunity one day i just start snowboarding <laughs> oh yeah you had to be way more specific with your terms <laughs> you're better at these deals with the devil than me yeah. um okay one last topic, I think, buyer's guide cover. Mm -hmm. Now, last year, Luke and I were out one day, and I remember we were testing some skis, and you know, Luke told me, go over there, we'll get a shot. And he took a shot, and he's like, I just got our buyer's guide cover. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, nah, <laughs> it, was, it was not, it was fairly early in the season. Uh, last year, we had so many powder days that like, not to sound like a, a douche about it, but like it's, it was hard to keep track of them all. Yeah. But I think it was in either late January, or early February. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, he was like, I just got the buyer's guide cover. And I was like, nah, nah, it's something, we'll get something else. And turns out Luke was right. <laughs> but uh, I don't, we have not yet settled on a cover. We have several kind of contenders. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be me this year. Yeah. I'm going to, seed seed the seed the throne i i think i'm i'm pulling for you i think it's about time 
I think it's about time for you to to get on one of these covers, but yeah, um, we'll see. I, I've got a couple. I've got a couple other thoughts on this too. Yeah, so. I was thinking I still need to get my July ski day in, which is guaranteed to be just awful. So mm-hmm. I was like, I should just get like a bubble boy suit and <laughs> just, like show me July skiing, and that would sum up 2020 pretty well. Um, <laughs> that could be our cover. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> just like <laughs> ski, ski next to like a, a dumpster fire, literally, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right. Or maybe that's our our back cover because we, we usually mess around with that one a little bit more. Yeah. Do we, I wonder who's going to make the back cover this year. I don't, I, oh, I think like last year was Could me be. upside down, half submerged. I think Kristen? there's a good shot of Kristen <laughs> yeah, on, think, on her way to that sort of fall. <laughs> I think I know the photo you're talking about. Yeah, you about. took it. I did take it. Yeah. Okay, Cool. Kristen, she's got a shot at the front cover. She's got a shot at the back cover, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, keeping it interesting. Yeah. All right, I think that's good. That's a little teaser on our buyer's guide. We're about to hit the. We are about to really hit the pedal to the metal to uh, keep this thing moving and get this out. Um, and so, you know, if you aren't already, you should go become a Blister member, and then your membership includes this beautiful print edition massive buyer's guide that you know might end up costing luke or me our lives yeah so it's you know it's worthwhile let's wrap by talking about what we are celebrating this week what are you celebrating this week luke um so this time of year it's uh not exactly characterized by plenty lots of celebrations per se but the one upside to being in front of my computer and like thinking and writing and designing the guide is, I mean, it's a sign that ski season is coming basically. Like it's the first, first sign of that. And I do like, like going back through all the, like the hundreds of photos we took last year and like remembering each day. So that part of it is nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just I'll try not to d- dive <laughs> back into the pit of despair. How? <laughs> what are you celebrating? Um, well, before we get to me, I forgot to ask Dylan when I spoke with him a little earlier. I forgot to ask him what he's celebrating. So I texted him, and he said that he is celebrating. Uh, he said my roommate James was gone all summer. And he just got back yesterday, so it's good to have him back and have the entire Flat Moon Society in one place again. Now, (laughs) normal people are not going to really know what the Flat Moon Society is. I've been hearing about it for a few years now. I still don't really know what it is. We might actually need to, like, get the Flat Moon Society on a podcast. Yeah. It's going to be one of the best or, <laughs> or probably really the worst yeah. <laughs> that we'll ever have done. But anyway, that's what Dylan's celebrating. Uh, James and uh, and getting the whole Flat Moon Society gang yeah. back together. They are very, very entertaining to ski and ride with. <laughs> yeah. What I'm celebrating, well, I'm going to celebrate my nephew, Ben, and his new bride, Caroline. Um, I actually was just back in Chicago for their wedding. And so um, wonderful people. And uh, so I'm going to celebrate them. And it was, it's always, I don't get back to Chicago much, but when I do, um, it's 
good reconnecting with friends. And I got to meet up with my friends, Shan and Rod. It was great to see them, got to see a bunch of family. And so um, that's what I'm celebrating, friends nice. and family. There we go. Anyway, that's it. That is a wrap. Luke, I need to let you go because you need to get back to work. I'm actually going to try and ski. <laughs> to This afternoon? Yeah, this evening or something like that. <laughs> Where are you going to go? Apparently there's a what my roommate Brandon described as a big-ass pile of dirty snow at the top of Paradise Divide, which means not a lot of walking, and that's my main priority your... at this point in the year. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Wow, okay. And get some really valuable on-snow data yep. <laughs> from sliding down frozen sun cups. Yeah, okay. Wow, well, you have fun skiing. I have actually got another conversation coming up here in HQ, so uh, I'm going to get ready for that and... Talk to you soon. All right. All right, man. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that will do it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to David and Dylan and Luke for the conversation. And of course, thanks to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. And again, if you are not already a current Blister member, you should become one because then you will receive with your membership a copy of this massive, really good buyer's guide. And you might just bolster Luke's like entire reason for being these days. So there's like a humanitarian element to this as well. So anyway, thanks to all of you for listening. We really hope that you are doing well. Please stay safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.